Hello and welcome to University Challenged with me, your host, Tony Kent. Here's this episode's question. When your secondary school is more focused on controlling your behaviour than understanding the root cause and your headmistress tells you that you'll be a failure, how do you find the confidence and motivation to create success on your own terms and break some serious taboos? In this episode, my guest Emma-Jane Taylor shares her incredible career story which began with a whirlwind of dancing, temping, hairdressing and earning a living in Spain to finding herself selling printer warranties. Finding success in a normal job proved to her that she wanted to be an entrepreneur. So Emma-Jane created a portfolio of well-being businesses, including a dance school, which has just celebrated its 23rd anniversary. Then six years ago, Emma-Jane revealed that she was a survivor of child sex abuse. And rather than it destroying her career, the revelation led to her becoming an author, advocate, media commentator and corporate trainer. Today, Emma-Jane is championing a conversation which many people are reluctant to have. In doing so, she's making sure the voices of people who have suffered are being heard and encouraging government to better support victims while holding the perpetrators to account. Hello, EJ. Hi, Tony. Welcome to University Challenge and thank you for agreeing to come on. Well, it's a pleasure to be here uh, supporting all your great work as well. Oh, very excited. I, well, this is going to be a good one. Um, we know each other, but for the listeners today and the listeners to come, could you share your full name and what it is that you do today? Okay, yes. Hi, um, hi Tony's listeners. Uh, my name is Emma Jane Taylor. I am an advocate for survivors of child sex abuse. I am the founder of the well, um, a well-being company called The Works Company, and I'm also um, involved in corporate training and mentoring. So, uh, an array of uh, array of activities, but they all sort of really link to well-being. I feel whether it be emotional, mental, or physical. Fantastic! A portfolio, truly a portfolio career. We mm. will come on to quite how you got to where you are today but let's go back to your memories of secondary school what was secondary school like for you second I don't have a lot of memory from those times in my life it wasn't a time that I particularly enjoyed because obviously um, I was going through my own trauma and difficulties Um, and I think having started school with some probably good expectations uh, within about a year, those expectations had slipped. So my memory of school is headmistress's office um, with a cigarette in my hand, um, regularly being put on detention, regularly suspended, often put into isolation um, because they I was so naughty. I think they thought I'd burn down the school, um, right. which I, of course, wouldn't have done. But back in no. those days, I think I was so unpredictable that they just didn't know what to do with me. So I was isolated from nine in the morning until three. Um, and I had to sit with either the headmistress or the deputy head. And if I needed to go to the bathroom, they would have to take me there and wait for me and bring me back. They'd take me to make my lunch. And so I had weeks like that, weeks where I was allowed back into the school on a report where you had to get yeah. all the teachers to, to sign. Yeah. I'm sure everyone's done those reports. I've been on report, yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, so it wasn't, I, I think, I don't remember it ever being, it was a, such a complex time. Uh, and I look back on it. I don't look back on it with fond memories. I look back on it with, um, I'm not even sure anxiety is the right word. I think the memories are that it was just a sad time. And did you continue to study for your GCSEs or equivalent while you were there? Yeah, I was um, the second year of GCSEs. I was yeah. uh, I'm a 1972 baby. That makes me 50. And you don't have to go and do the maths if you're watching. Yeah. Um, and I I was also a child performer. So uh, ah. professional child performer. So I would uh, quite often have to take time out of school, which meant that I then got behind on a lot of activities. Um, so, you know, 
I wanted to take, I don't know, say geography and I wasn't, oh no, I wanted to take history and they, were, and they made, said, no, 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 you've got to take geography. So they, they seemed to have a lot more control over things that they wanted me to take as opposed to me taking them. But I did do GCSEs, but I was in such a bad sort of place that it got to the point where I wrote my name on the top of the paper and that was it because that's yeah. as, that's about as much as I cared for school of course you know the person who was hurting the most there was me but it yeah. I, I was in so so angry that you know so at one paper I copied a friend and then actually, and copied her name <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um so yeah so I I had I I wasn't given, uh, treated very well, and therefore um, I just didn't then respond very well, and that that meant that I failed pretty much all of my exams, apart from physical education. I'm sure it would come as no surprise because I was very interested in sports, mm-hmm. um, and that was probably my saving grace at school was that I could do hockey and tennis and swimming yeah. and. I could release that um, those emotions and that anger into my physical activities, and then I really liked sort of the biological, uh, the biology, the biology side of it, yeah, and the anatomy and physiology. So um, that's sort of where that that passion for for sports started, really, for me. And um, you mentioned there that you were a child performer, something that I didn't know. Um, just because I guess you were working while you were studying how did that come about so I've been dancing since I was four and Mm I kind of progressed and dancing became something somewhat of a passion of mine and Mm. and then I was sent for put forward for various shows and auditions and I was very fortunate to have um been cast in some of the productions and therefore you know it meant that so if a professional show came up, I'd be out for maybe eight weeks on a rotational yeah. with a team with another team. Um, but of course, you've got rehearsals and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it was all about sort of getting permission, which you, you still have to do today. But I think you know you didn't have as tight a restrictions. I don't think. Um, I might be wrong. Uh, I was also um, quite often in My Guy magazine in the <laughs> Wow. Wow. And um, I did a lot of activities sort of until, so during my school years, I I think I did sort of three or four productions where I'd have to sort of leave school. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I did the magazines. And then when I left school, I went, I was a professional dancer in cabaret. Wow. So um, there's so many questions that I have for you. (laughs) One is that I think people of our generation will remember like the photo stories in those magazines that were targeted at young women so you were actually in one of those we aspired to be I know I wish I'd had I've got I've got I've I've still got them and I was in quite a few um and uh I then got some of my friends to enjoy uh I, I, got, I got to know the photography team and, and the team yeah. and, and then I got some of my friends in my pet my mum came and did one my brother did one yeah um, and it was great <laughs> wow um so there's that we could go down a whole rabbit hole with that I'm <laughs> interested to know um because I think and you and I both know um and I know more of your story um than some of the people listening but um when you have a, a young person that is demonstrating challenging behaviour, it doesn't come from nowhere. And I wonder if your school was at all equipped to support you and help you versus placing you in isolation. Uh, well, I think the simple answer is no. I think, you know, you're, we're talking back in, you know, um, my senior school would have been 84 when I started and I yeah. would have left. Um, not look just before you know well six years so just before the 1990s um and uh it, it, you know bad behavior back then was just bad behavior there was no kind of beyond that you were a naughty child I mean they knew about um some of I think because my father had left me as well mm-hmm. um and that had been sort of documented and brought up but they that's I think as far as they were concerned that was as far as those problems went and that was horrific enough 
And so that's what they dealt with, which is what everyone dealt with. So they just thought I was just a, a child that had fallen out because, you know, I'd been abandoned, I'd fallen fallen out of, um, you know, the life really because of that. And I'd gone from nice child to horrible child. But obviously it was it was much more sinister than that. But that was how they dealt with it. But when I say dealt with it, they didn't deal with it so when I was being naughty they were dealing with me by putting me on report putting me in isolation putting me on detention Mm -hmm. suspending me um I got sent to juvenile um delinquent psychiatrist like a psychiatrist labeled juvenile delinquent um and I was right I mean there's no denying that I was Uh, I was that child, but I wasn't just that child. I had become that child. I was a really lovely young girl going through life, as you know, as as all most of my peers were just happy, go lucky, enjoying world, and then boom, it fell apart. And instead of then someone saying, "EJ clearly is in a bad state because of A, B, C," what can we do to help her? Mm. Um, I got reprimanded and you just cannot reprimand people for bad behavior because behind that, yes, you do have to have boundaries. Absolutely. You do have yeah. to have boundaries and discipline, but you have to also understand why that behavior is happening. Mm. And we weren't equipped in the eighties to, to do that or the nineties. Mm. I think, you know, it's really only becoming the millenniums that we've had those conversations and started looking behind it. And I think we're a lot better now. I think there's still a long way to go because, you know, we've missed so many opportunities with so many children who've died, sadly. Um, But we're we're much more farther, further forward now than we were when I was in a child in the eighties. But, um, Mm. you know, I think when I sort of look back, I think if only someone had sort of said, look, DJ, you know, obviously we have to, you know, discipline you because, you know, you set off the fire alarm again. Yeah. And you, were on, you know, you, you know, A, B or C. Yeah. You know, what, you know, what else can we do? Yeah. Yeah. I do. You sparked a memory there in me relating to fire, where at my secondary school, we discovered that when you unroll the fire hose, it automatically starts going off. So there was a big fire hose in one of the corridors. Um, yeah, quite a lot of people. didn't know that back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. Um, so you got your PGCSE. Um, what was the expectation or what advice did you get as to next steps? Okay, so um, when you've gone through trauma, one of the things that happens to you is that you... Um, you dissociate and you start finding ways to cope. And one of those ways to cope is to dump down where you are in life. So chunks of my life have become um, just lost. Uh, I have no memory. I have no recollection. I have no, you know, I don't remember going to, um, well, it wasn't citizen's advice, but it, it always felt like citizen's advice when you went in to talk to your tutors. There was a terrapin set up in our school where you'd go yeah. and talk about career advice, career advice. Yeah. I remember once going into this room, I don't know what we talked about. I don't know what the conversations were. And I don't remember ever having that conversation again or speaking to anybody. But by the time I'd left school, of course, trauma and PTSD and um, the delayed onset of um, many many other difficulties had started setting in. So there's chunks of my life. I mean, I just have no, I can remember being at school but I just don't remember being with people I don't remember friends I don't remember you know I recently had some conversations with some friends who I've reconnected with and they showed me loads of pictures it's actually quite upsetting because I don't remember it yeah you know I I clearly did have some nice time so um to answer your question I don't have any kind of recollection recollection of those times I know that I was a good PE student but again they pushed me and when they pushed me I pushed back and I was like no 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 I'm not gonna and I, I was really good at hockey I was really good at um, some of the tennis sports and as soon as they started saying we're gonna push you into um, county levels and things like that I'd be like oh no 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 I don't want to do that yeah and I thought I'd pull back and you did find a career you said in cabaret um how did how do you do that how, how did that come about 
So um, I, ha I know a lot of people in the performing arts world. Yeah. And um, there was a troupe, cameo dancers, and who were looking for dancers. And I went along, had an audition, got the job. And then um, we just, you know, rehearsed and rehearsed. Um, and then we'd go from everywhere down to the south coast of the UK, up to Scotland, east, west, wherever the jobs were, we'd go. Sometimes they were a few a week, sometimes it was one a week, but um, we were generally quite busy with work at that time. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was more than that. It was just, it was so, I mean, you know, it was so nice to see my, my uh, dancing friends and have a bit of a laugh. Um, yeah buy loads of sweets and drink coffee because that's what we do with dancers we <laughs> don't eat um, sweets and coffee <laughs> cigarettes sweets and coffee yeah um, or that's what I mean I don't want to but that's what I did anyway um yeah. and that was sort of like a chunk of my life sort of you know I left school at 16 and that was sort of from around 18 19 for a couple of years which was just really good fun actually and I think that's all I needed I didn't want anything to taxing I guess yeah yeah and there's there's a lot to be said for that as well I think in yes. having some fun and going off and not doing the big career thing immediately what um I think it's a brilliant idea to do yeah where, where did you go where did that take you so you've done a couple of years dancing and eating sweets and cigarettes EJ oh my god <laughs> <laughs> I'd be through 20 fags a day yeah. easily <laughs> Can't imagine it now. where does it take me um, yeah. uh, well I kind of messed around so when I when I left when I'd left school I'd gone in I, well I went I became a hairdresser oh okay I, yep. I left school with nothing and decided to go and take an apprenticeship with a hairdresser's got dermatitis yeah. um and had to leave yeah then I was dancing and temping and um I had set up a little um business that were later on in hairdressing so if you want your hair cut I can do that as well yeah while tap dancing yeah and writing books <laughs> so um <laughs> but I um it took me to Spain actually yeah, I went and uh, when I was around 19, I was starting to nanny as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, 19 isn't old, but for a dancer, it, it can be because you're challenged with all the, you know, you know 19, 20, 21, you've got all the youngsters coming in as well. Yeah. Um, and so I decided instead of doing dancing, I'd become a nanny and I nannied mm -hmm. um, and I loved nannying that was one of the greatest things of my career um mm. because I, I, I just working with young children and taking them out and, and just having fun with them meeting other nannies and taking them out and then one family I worked with used to go to Spain so I used to go out there with them and then I started staying on a bit longer mm -hmm. and then a bit longer and then a bit longer and yeah. then the third year I was like right I'm, I'm done now I'm, I've drunk my way through Spain yeah um, <laughs> I wasn't an irresponsible nanny but you know I was partying a lot as well so the third yeah. year I probably wasn't nannying so much I was more hairdressing oh I, I did some hairdressing in um yeah on the beach I'd have chairs lined up and I'd be yeah. hair just to make money and to, yeah. to help me live out there really yeah so entrepreneurial and and uh <laughs> Survival, I think. Yeah, well, this I was going to say risky, you know, it kind of shows, yeah, like that survival instinct. I'm in a foreign country, I need to make money. I know how I can make money. Yes. And I um, worked in bars and clubs and, and, and all sorts of other things yeah. that just, in fact, I earned a fortune when I was in Spain because I worked for, um, I worked for one of the bigger families who owned a lot of sort of the island, a lot of the villages where I was, and um, they paid you. Um, my rent was low, and mm. then I got my food and my drinks all included. Mm. So actually, and then with the hairdressing and all the other things, because of course back then you, you could just keep earning lots of money out there. Not so much yeah. now. Um, yeah. 
and uh yeah I came back with money in my pocket which was uh which was really great it was but it was just a fun time you know I made some great friends some of my friends mm. are still like you know from those years and mm. um, they were you know very I felt privileged to have been able to do that and I so I'd sort of learned a few more skills like you say business skills entrepreneurial skills survival yeah and actually that was going to be my next question was kind of what did you learn from that experience of being self-sufficient spinning lots of different plates I I learned to be dynamic yeah dynamic I think and you know when the chips are down and you know you know my my bed my room was literally I lived with a, a, a a diver deep side deep sea diver we weren't yeah. not a relationship we were just friends yeah. and uh I, I I rented one of his rooms and on the and I can still see it the, there was a blanket up at the the window for my yeah. curtain yeah and then on the floor it was a mat it was a mattress on the floor and um, yeah. with just a sheet over it and a sheet for me and one pillow and then yeah. there was this really trapped out dresser where my clothes, that was it. I had no hanging space, no nothing. I had suitcases on the floor. Sometimes yeah. you'd have cockroaches in there. Yeah. And uh, that's that was sort of our world. But it was, you know, that, I was like, it didn't matter. You know, mm. would I want to do it now? Probably not. If I had to, I would. But yeah. Um, but, yeah, it really sort of challenged me to, you know, I want I couldn't not be in Spain without a roof over my head. That was the cheapest option. Yeah. Um, and I needed to have to make sure I kept that roof over my head every, um, I think I had to pay weekly then, so every week. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it didn't matter how I earned the money, just I, I could earn the money. But it also taught me to, I, I think it really truly taught me then to really focus on the work that I was good at mm-hmm. that you know made me employable um, yeah. and not just set, settle for something that you know earns good money um, and that's what everyone else wants you to do yeah so what did you do when you came back to the UK with money in your mm. pocket which like you I said detox. not a lot of people do <laughs> you detox okay yeah <laughs> I de- and I, and I, I, de- I mean, I say all this. I've never, I haven't touched a drop of alcohol since those days. Um, I detoxed. I had money in my pocket. I was yeah. about twenty-one when I came home, and I thought, Do you know what, I'm going to go and get a proper job now and see what this is all about. Yeah. Um, and I went and worked. I got a proper job working from a co- for a company called Danke UK, mm-hmm. who were yeah. the official sponsors for the Grand Prix. I think for the Williams team for the Grand Prix um and I'm a big Grand Prix I love the Grand Prix so um okay. I love the idea that I was working for one of their sponsors anyway I was the selling printer warranties I mean it doesn't sell any dollar does it I mean printer warranties here's EJ yeah. just you know bit of an entrepreneurial hairdresser nanny bar worker restaurant worker <laughs> Jack of all trades. Now, now I am selling printer warranties, and I went into the job, um, you know, quite bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, thinking, "Oh, I've got a great job. I had a great basic salary. Mm-hmm. Um, I had great commission. They gave me a fabulous new car, mm-hmm. um, a phone, and that you know, at 21, 22, that's like wow. I mean, yeah. you know, we're talking nineteen ninety-four here, and that yeah. was like. That was a big thing. Uh, anyway, I worked with my colleague, um, a, a male colleague, was older than me. And I think I'd gone in on probably a good or better package than he'd started. And I don't think he was very happy about that. So him and I sort of clashed a bit. And uh, and then one day I just thought, I hate this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hate this ringing people up. Oh, you need to renew your warranty. And I was like, I would, I'd earned a fortune. I'd, I'd done a really good job and I was good at the sales side of that. Mm. Um, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. So I had lunch with my stepfather one week and I just, I just, I just don't want to do this anymore. And I really felt, you know, if I go back to what I was saying in Spain, I felt like I was doing this job because it was expected of me to go on to do a good job. All my brothers have been in the corporate world. They were all succeeding um but I hated it 
I hated it. I hated the guy that I worked. Oh, sorry, I don't hate the guy. Well, I just didn't. I didn't get on with him. And it, you know, yeah. twenty one, twenty two sort of thing. It yeah. was just not a happy place to be. Mm. Um, so I told my boss, and he was like, "Oh my goodness, we'll do anything. We'll move the world for you to stay." And and that was actually quite nice to hear that yeah. because you know I, you know, I didn't really sort of feel like I'd enjoyed it. But then he clearly thought you know I was doing well. Mm-hmm. um and I think everyone in my family was like what are you going to do and I'm yeah. like I don't know <laughs> but I just want to leave and I miss my dancing and I miss fitness and mm-hmm. I just I'm not I'm not destined to sit behind a desk with a phone in my hand ringing up to sell warranties for printers so I left gave up my car gave up my great big salary my commission yeah. my phone everything gone Oof. yeah and that's quite um yeah so it's and this is uh, i suppose an interesting point because for a lot of people and this is okay it is that i would like a secure job where i get the car the healthcare, the pension the phone yeah. consistency i know what i'm going to earn every month but you had it and you realized that, that it wasn't for you no i've never had it again uh, you know and um, but right. actually yeah. I've never had the consistency again, but yeah. I work better because of that. I'm pretty certain. Well, what did you do? Jay, you got there's no card, no phone. Where the hell is your commission? What did so you do? So now I now go back to college myself, yes. finish right. off yep. my hairdressing course. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not working in a salon, I'm just doing it while I'm temping. And um, so I was temping at like a company called Trend Communications. Oh yeah. Um, I was temping at Maritz. I did some temping at Dun and Bradstreet. I did some yeah. temping for the body. It was the equivalent of the body shop. Um, I worked in pubs. I worked as a as a. I did everything I could. Um, I then set up a business called EJ's Hairdressing, and I became a mobile hairdresser as well. Yeah. Uh, but I wasn't really sort of enjoying that. I really missed my dancing. So I decided to take on, um, uh, actually, a local theatre group said, EJ, would you choreograph a show? Out of nowhere, actually. And yeah. I said that I would. And it was me and my girl. Anyway, oh. from choreographing this, um, I was doing tap in there. Now, tap is one of my specialities um, yeah. and something that, you know, I really you know, Michael Flatley move over kind of thing. That was my, that was my thing. And yeah. out of the way. Yeah. Um, so I then set up a tap class and I was tap tapping. I was temping. I was doing a bit of hairdressing and I'm now earning great money because everything's yeah. like cash coming in. It was yeah. a real cash cow of a, of a world that I lived in. Um, and then the classes were packed. They had waiting lists and I set up another one. And then I thought, do you know what? I'm going to go and do some more fitness. So I went and studied um, fitness and I've become highly trained in uh, from, from a, uh, qualifications, American College of Sports Medicine to my personal fitness level three, nutrition and weight management. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I just then studied and studied and studied because I thought actually everyone was expecting me when I left school, one of the things my headmistress said to me was, yeah, EJ, you're just a failure. You're going nowhere. That was that was my parting comment. So that stuck in my head. And I just mm-hmm. felt that that's what people thought of me. You know, I couldn't hold down a job. Um, but actually, while I all these people were thinking that, I, I, I was creating and crafting and building great tools for, mm-hmm. for my life and my professional world. So, so I went off and trained in fitness and then... Um, I set up, I became more, you know, substantially set up with EJ's Dance and Fitness, it was called. Yeah. And I would run activities in my lo- in a couple of the local towns close to where I live. And then I then joined an exclusive gym uh, where we would, um, the my boss actually there, God, I hated her. I love <laughs> her now. She became, my, she became my mentor in the end, but she was such a tough boss. Aww. Um, and we were training, we were training, select, you know, high, high profiles and, you know, and that's why she was a tough boss. So I got great training. I've got great skills. I've got great qualifications. 
so from those sort of years, 23, 24, 25, um, was really, you know, securing me as uh, someone who could start dabbling in business. I could really sort of start looking at the activities I was doing, self-employed with my classes and mm. um, my training and expanding clients, understanding, you know, spreadsheets yeah. Uh, marketing I but you know when I look back to all the temping I'd been doing mm. I had an A to Z of um kind of careers really through my temping from yeah. accounts to I worked at Red Row Homes for years okay and um, sales to marketing to tele sales yeah. to telemarketing I became I I, I temped with a company Maritz and did telemarketing with them within mm. six months I became their manager so I then started running the international teams. So I'd had all this great experience. I hadn't realized how important it was until now. And it's like, okay, it's starting to help me with spreadsheets and marketing and sales and accounts and la, 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 la. Um, and then when I was 27, um, I got the opportunity to set up a performing arts school for kids. Yeah. And that was 23 years ago now. And wow. that's still going strong. Well, not as strong because of COVID, but we're still yeah. going. <laughs> but that's great. Um, one thing I'm really interested to know, because you talked about your former boss who became a mentor. What what was it that initially made you sort of clash or resist her style of management to someone that you look to as a mentor? Well, I think when I was working with her, I was in my early 20s. I'd come off, um, I'd come out of sales and, you know, big jobs and, and traveling around. You know, I, I knew it all, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> you know it all. And, yeah. But you don't know anything. Mm. And now I'm working with this woman who is, who is very talented. And, you know, we had some mornings I'd have to get up at half four and I'd have to be in my car at quarter past five and it'd be you know you had to be you couldn't be a minute past six o'clock you couldn't you know um and that you know not only was I a personal trainer in her gym I was cleaning I was tidying I was having to do lots of things with paperwork and uh, you know but I had to do it on someone else's schedule right and I'd okay. become a bit used to doing my own schedules yeah and I think it was it was it, I don't know if it was a clash I was just I I just didn't feel like she um had maybe I just didn't think she had enough empathy but then I kind of look at her and I think actually she was so brilliant because she it, it wasn't about empathy right she was running a business with high profile mm -hmm. people who wanted to be trained mm -hmm. um we were working with significant it, there was no time to mess around you had to be yeah. focused on the job in hand with the people some some you have to be you know slightly sensitive with and handle carefully um mm. and so she was helping you develop skills for communication for paperwork for type you know so actually what she taught me in those years was valuable um yeah. and she you know she is a, like such an empathetic person and she's a really kind lady and but I see that now as a 50-year-old woman. Yeah. I didn't see that as a 20-year-old woman. So yeah. what she gave me, I feel, was just so valuable as a professional woman now to what I'm doing with my life. And obviously, I, I do have in people who work with me. Um, and, of course, I've taken a lot of what I've got from her, but I've got my own spin on things as well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, it wasn't that I clashed I just think I was just of a 20 year old confused unsettled mm. woman um mm. who just didn't want to be told but actually mm. I learned how important it was to work together as a team yeah wow um so you've got your performing arts school when that's established um how do the other parts of your portfolio come into play so um, obviously setting up stage rights was, you know, a big thing, but it wasn't a full-time job. Um, yeah, okay. uh, so I did need to to find ways to um, make ends meet. So I carried on temping. Mm -hmm. um, 
I also, uh, like I said, I was doing all the fitness stuff as well. Yeah. So um, while I was doing all the fitness stuff, I started sort of building up my own clientele there. And, you know, the temping, I might have been temping five days a week and doing my personal, um, my performing arts school, maybe two afternoons a week. Okay. And my personal training at weekends and maybe some classes in the week. And then yeah. it started to get busier and earn enough money to for me to drop one of the temping days. Yeah. And so I'd have four days temping and then one day doing personal training and then classes and then da 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 da. And then mm. it kind of grew like that. So, you know, I'd lose a day temping and then I'd be like, oh, I need to go and earn enough money to cover that day. Yeah. And so it was just sort of like, taking things away and then adding in things from the business and I would say that probably took the next five years really to start you know understanding how that business was going to work and also Mm. uh, understanding that I would need to speculate to accumulate and there's only one of me but if I wanted to grow it in any way I'd have to um I'd have to find people far more talented than me which is not an easy thing to do when you you know when you think you're the only one who can do all that (laughs) Um, but actually then you soon realize Mm. do you know what there's far more talented people out there than me um and we've all got our talents so you know it's now going right who do I bring in and who is going to um reflect what I have put in into the business and not only do the people I work with now reflect that but they bring so much more to the business and that's obviously been one of my biggest lessons is how important and vital talented people are to your life and I couldn't have done that 20 years ago no (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) chasing him out of town with his yeah fast legs and completely still yes. top I don't know but he did a bit of that didn't he um Perhaps. yeah um so your like works branding what did that come to incorporate because you had stage work or you have yeah, stage so work. I had st- stage works we have nutritious works I then decided to open um two other parts of the works both of which is sort of on pause now because of COVID and everything one was called She Networks and it was a networking company for women Um, and that was in our local area in Oxfordshire and then we took it to London as well Um, both hugely successful I worked again incorporated I worked with a girl called Susan Cavani um, and we we worked with lots of other women in the local areas and in London to make that such a, a great success we enjoyed that and then I one, th- one of the things I'd wanted to do, and one of the th- things that I have always stuck by, is if I really want to do something, you have to just do it. doesn't matter how it works, just get, just do it. Yeah. Um, and if it doesn't work, find a new way to go around it. Or if it didn't, if you work, if it didn't work and you like it, let's get rid of it. Um, yeah. But don't, any person who, I used to think, oh, if it doesn't work, everyone's going to think that I failed. But no one cares, really. Yes. Um, no one really thinks like that and the only person who will have that emotion is you so one of the things I wanted to do was take my fitness and go back to Spain Mm -hmm. um, because that's obviously uh, a place where I'd enjoyed so many years I was now not drinking not smoking not taking drugs not taking not doing anything to um, you know uh pull pull me back and down in life really because it had it was um and I thought I'll go back to Spain because that's obviously where a big turning point in my life. Yeah. Uh, so I called up some contacts and uh, got this amazing villa and we created yeah. a company called Oceanworks. Yeah. So we took the fitness activities, we took diet, nutrition, um, and we did a couple of years of that in wow. Spain and also in the UK. Yeah. And then uh, COVID, came, COVID and then everyone thought Brexit was a good idea and that was the end of that yeah so well like you say you to yeah. all those brexiters <laughs> you can't just hop over to Spain France and just earn some money and... you can't just work there anymore it's just no. you know. uh, but no. anyway so that's that's kind of those were the so I had stage work nutritious works she networks and ocean works um yeah 
and I was loving all of them and then obviously the world changes and as it was changing you know you have to change with it so who knows I mean maybe one day I will bring back some of the activities that um, we were doing then there's so many networking companies out there for women yes I yeah there's a lot yeah. Yeah, but one thing I we are starting to do is network because we've created through some of our own business here is um, a dance hub for adults, um, which is picking lots of boxes because obviously my team are really heavily involved in that. I love dancing. Yeah, so it's allowed us to come back. So we're looking at sort of doing some network, like three or four networking events in the years for for people who love to dance and who can come and join us and have a healthy glass of water and a banana and uh, do some <laughs> classes yeah um and I, I made a note about you sort of mentioned there's that kind of you know jfdi just flaming do it um yes. when it comes to having an idea and executing on that but also when it comes to stopping something and and realizing yes. and i guess it takes a a good deal of confidence and their self-awareness to say it doesn't matter if i stop fine and yet nobody is gonna go oh you had that thing and it's and you're not doing it anymore what yes a failure <laughs> yes and I had that I had that emblazoned across me that I would be a failure yeah but actually it's been my success to be able to go right I've done you know we've done lots of events over the years with with the performing arts school and the, and the, and the fitness staff so we've done loads of events that were really successful maybe for two or three years and then I kind of think the novelty wears off and then mm-hmm. instead of like bleeding that drive go right stop refresh change it yeah. up throw another product out there or another event and so yeah. it's been my success um and you know even like obviously now with the covid years things are hard for everybody everybody in business things are hard and i'm okay to say it's hard for us because you know uh we are in um in a, an environment where performing arts and, and well-being and fitness really did suffer through covid so yeah but, you know, I quite like that chat. That's why I say, you know, I've not had a consistent salary <laughs> mm. since I left Anchor UK and my mobile phone and my nice car. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't change it for the world. I have friends who are like, oh, my God, EJ, we just couldn't know that we couldn't do that. You know, we just no. couldn't do that. But that's how I exist. That's it. I fire up because of that kind of opportunity to see where I can go and challenge myself yeah and it feels like I guess that the right time to ask you about your advocacy work and when you wrote your book um could you sort of share that process with me or with everybody yeah with everybody, not just for me <laughs> with everybody <laughs> so yeah so you know I'd, I'd gone along into my career um and I had um, achieved some great things over the years and um, I was about 40 years old when that's TV um, a local TV station had asked if they could do an interview on me as a woman in business Mm. so I went along because I always say yes to everything and then um, if it works it works if it doesn't you never do it again so I said yes went along um, had this interview and then afterwards they were like oh we really enjoyed working with you um someone's going on maternity leave would you be interested in presenting a well-being show knowing my my history I said yeah of course you know three months four months that was fine I was there for about four years and I had developed um more of my presenting skills obviously it, it, it continued to build my business and establish with my business um and then one day I thought, do you know what? I feel a bit of a fraud. Here I am, 40 years old, 41, maybe a bit older now, 43. And uh, I have, I, I guess this is another bigger question here. What is success? So I built up quite a success around me, but success to me wasn't monetary. Mm-hmm. Success was I'd, I, you know, I had not become the failure my headmistress had told me that I would be um and maybe I chased that kind of that label for quite a few years before being able to accept that I didn't need to do that I could drop it and then I kind of sat there and thought here I am interviewing people about their trials and tribulations in life uh and everyone thinks that I'm just this you know 
perfect, got no problems, history mm. or other. And of course I did. So one day I thought, right, oh, Venus magazine asked if they could do a feature on me as a woman in business. Mm -hmm. And they put me on their front cover and I said, yes, you can. But I feel this is probably a good time for me to dip my toe into my own realities and share my um, story of being sexually abused as a child from nine through to 16. Mm -hmm. And also um, that my biological father had left me when I was around 11, 12 years old, just not long after I started school. So um, I, the school that I'd gone to, that was we chose the school because it was closer to his house and a year in uh, uh, and he dumped me. Of course, it was really hard because I wasn't allowed to see him yet. My school was literally past his front door and it was, you know, he was such a wonderful man up until that point. Uh, very funny, very kind, it, very com very, they end up being so complex that my heart was completely broken, shattered, in fact. Um, and I was a sitting target to be groomed and, and you know, abused. I, I, I didn't care. I didn't care enough for me. I didn't care enough for anyone or anything. Um, and so th those years were... Um, very painful, very dark, very complex. And then I um, obviously, you know, through PTSD, memory loss, dissociation, I had various disorders and addictions that came off the back of that. You know, I was drinking alcohol and taking drugs quite heavily from the age of 13. Mm -hmm. um, and I carried on doing that until probably still sort of like early. 20s when that's when I sort of had my own sort of epiphany and that's when I stopped everything and I haven't like 30 years I've been clean changed my life moved things around and went into therapy so when my businesses started when I'd come back from Spain I was like right I need to sort myself out after I left that wonderful job with the phone and the car I went into therapy um and then suddenly I'm now on the sofa and I'm thinking right I've got a to share my story so I, I shared my story in the magazine they did this big event at the football stadium Medeski stadium yeah um I was their speaker um but they did a video with me and I hadn't even appreciated this but before I went on there was this big screen the videos of me <laughs> yeah. I'm like oh I'm gonna vomit I literally I felt as sick as a dog yeah I, I was thinking what the hell am I doing what am I doing anyway uh I got up on the stage. I I, I did my bit. Um, uh, I thought I was going to die on the stage. I was so nervous because when you are sharing a good 30 years of trauma with a whole load of people you don't know, it was terrifying. Yeah. And I was shaking like a leaf. But the next day, my inbox was flooded mm. uh, with people uh, who were very grateful that I'd spoken up and wanted to you know, applaud me for that people wanting to help me now on the next stage build websites for me um survivors the most important part of this conversation was I wanted to if I could give someone their hope even if it was one person and I never spoke again that would have been worth it so uh I, and I had lots of survivors coming forward saying you know you've encouraged me now thank you I'm going to go and get help or I'm going to go and speak up or I'm going to ABC um, and that was the reason I did it. So, you know, it was great that people were offering to help me um, on the first part of my advocacy role. And of course, then I published my book, Don't Hold Back, yeah. which yeah. documents my story, but also highlights how how I how I went from, you know, the, the, the trauma to successful women. And like I say, successful is to me is not monetary. It's the fact that I'm here having this conversation and not six foot under or in prison which is what most people thought I'd be by 20. And I did so I read is... your book um and what stood out for me was that you had put throughout it kind of practical tips as well so there's the there's the just the sharing of your story and and being you know courageous enough to do that but what I thought was I don't know that different is the right word, but what I hadn't expected actually was that you had tips throughout on ways in which if you were having similar struggles or, you know, struggles in your life, you could, but things that had helped you. 
yes and I that's so that's so important to me you know um I thought speaking out would car crash my career but I didn't care anymore because I wanted to do just that I wanted to give back someone their hope someone to know that they're not alone that they can get through it and if you do feel like this why don't you look at doing great things that you know it's not about telling people to do it's about challenging people's thought process so they might speak a bit differently about a situation and I learned that from a fantastic team of therapists you know from psychotherapists psychodynamic um, hypnotherapists psychologists acupuncturists holistic treatments (laughs) I did an A to Z of therapy, um, regressive therapy, and it's, you know, but it's all helped me to become a strong enough woman to be able to say that I wasn't the failure. You know, it wasn't me that failed. Um, And of course, that's the lesson now I take forward is that, you know, we need to listen and look behind a child because the bad behavior, you know, you see it all the time now, right? And it's quite scary now in this, this world that we're living in. Um, but what's behind that? What's behind those stories? And so that's really sort of why I then sort of stepped forward to do all of that was to give back. It didn't car crash my career mm-hmm. um, if, in any ways. It's enhanced it because it's allowed me to, and, I, and I'm, again, I'm not talking monetary. It's allowed me to step forward um, as an advocate, become more confident in my own world, in my work um, as a speaker as a commentator, as an author, um, as someone who can signpost people on. I mean, I have a, you know, a huge collection of people. I'm not a counsellor. I'm not a therapist, but I know a lot of people who can help you. Um, and so I take great pride in in being able to offer that to, to vulnerable people. And I think, I think people would be surprised if, um, if they saw my inboxes. Mm-hmm. And the amount How of people did... contact me. And and it sort of leads into a question I was going to ask you. How does that advocacy work? What does that look like in terms of the kind of things that you do? Because I, I guess there's a difference between advocacy and campaigning, maybe. Um, yeah, so of... I, well, I kind of tie them both up, really. So in mm. 2021 and 2022, I decided to do a month, every month for 12 months, a, a, an event. And that was yeah. my head, my awareness event campaign to get the yeah. conversation of child sex abuse heard. So I, I went, I walked around the Isle of Wight. I, um, I, I did a English Wind. Channel swim in my local swimming pool. Yeah. I cycled um, on the river. I had a bike yeah. made for me, cycled along a paddleboard down the river. I obviously got on a plane and I did a wing walk. Yeah. Um, every one of those challenges was something that I wanted to do as a fitness mm-hmm. addict and someone who loves taking challenges on herself. Mm-hmm. And so I aligned them with my advocacy. Right. Because if I go back to, you know, half an hour ago, I learned in yeah. life it's important to do all the things that mean something and that you can get out of bed and feel passionate about. And that is mm-hmm. one of them. Um, and so I then made it my life mission for the rest of my life to do this. Um, so that the campaigns are one of them. The advocacy is about challenging conversations and right. putting things out there. So, you know, uh, I know that not everybody likes my challenge or, or, or not everybody likes the challenging conversations. When I say all, I mean people who don't want to think um, uh, laterally about complex situations from political world to um to other but it's about saying look put some thought into this because actually a bigger change could happen from so many people uh, who are leading us and um significant figures so it's about challenging conversations so i do my campaigns i challenge conversations i upset a lot of people i get into a lot of trouble for what i say <laughs> um but yeah and that's fine right because it keeps the conversation going um, yeah. I recently won an award for my advocacy as well, which has been um, a really special award because this conversation never gets awards. Yeah. And um, so of course, you know, I have to balance that as well with my business. So, you know, I need to be yeah. able to keep my business ticking over. And and so, but I, what I'm finding is that it is crossing over a little bit now. So obviously yeah. my advocacy work does come into business because I work with children. I work yeah. in the well-being industry. Yeah. Um, lots of parents come to me. Yeah. And um, 
So it's all kind of working together. And, you know, it's it's long days, long hours, but I wouldn't change it for the world. No. It's, um, and there's so much that you've kind of, I don't know, brought together there and, and questions that people would have, like you say, it didn't derail your career. Um, it's enhanced it. It falls together. You've got these very clear strands in your life and, and they're all complementary. And I guess you're being um, the truest but I hate the authentic term. I don't want to say authentic. Yeah, but like yeah, I am. I'm being authentic, and that's <laughs> what I didn't think I was. And now I am. Yeah. I go to. I, I wake up. I go to bed feeling. I don't feel like I've. There's nothing in me that, you know. I think there was some years I thought, oh my goodness, there. I have a, I have a closet full of stories back from the days mm. where I was drinking and and drug taking and and. And, 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 you know, I was the ultimate wild child party girl. Mm. And I'm thinking, as I'm going on, <laughs> someone's going to start sharing some of this stuff. And actually, do you know what? I'm not going to give them the satisfaction. I am going to get it all out there because yeah. it all, because coming from, coming from someone else becomes a gossip. Coming from me makes it authentic. I hate, I know you hate that word, but it, but it, there's a reason I was behaving the way I was and now yeah. you know why um, yeah. and so actually it dampens down that fire right it dampens down yeah. that fuel of someone going oh yeah we we know EJ from when you know she did this yeah. that, and the other you know and like I say I mean most people thought I'd be dead or in prison by the time I was 20 but um but I shared all those there's nothing in me I haven't shared yeah so, uh, no one can say anything that's going to shock anyone anymore because I've done it yeah but I love that like you say you're kind of owning it aren't you saying yeah so what you know this is actually what was going on so would you like to have an opinion about it now absolutely and I'm not Mm. proud of some of the things I did when I was I never hurt I never hurt anybody actually no not intentionally but um I wasn't proud of some of the things that I did as a youngster but actually Mm. that was very reflective of where I was emotionally Um, and it was my way of coping yeah um thinking about the future um now you have delivered like a keynote at NSPCC's annual gala fundraising ball um you've done some big stuff in the past yeah well I don't know like two two years alone what what's coming next that you can share with people what can you tell us um so i'm really excited to share that very soon uh well fingers crossed my charity will be launched yeah um and that's been a journey and a half because i come from a business where i come with a business head or entrepreneurial head where i'm like right if i want to go to spain if i want to become a hairdresser if i want to do i'm just going to do it (laughs) i'm just going to set it up i'm going to throw some marketing at it get the advertising out there done it yeah, it doesn't happen like that when you're trying to cross the line with a charity, and quite rightly so. There's a lot of in-depth um, uh, requirements for you to set up, um, and so you know, go back to my boss. I've got to adhere to lots of things, and but that's okay because I I can move around with things like that. So we're near the end of uh, setting up. We've been back and forth a few times with charity commissions, which apparently is quite normal. Uh, and obviously yeah. the charity is about um, reducing child sex abuse through education, um, uh, awareness campaigns, protection. So obviously they do need to be tight on us as a, mm-hmm. as a, as a charity. That is, um, that is the next big step. And also I've got, um, of course, um, something that I had published last year, which I have Mm -hmm. here. Um, And this is a magazine. It was um, something that I'd been wanting to do for a very long time. The Real Silence. Wow. Congratulations. So I, I, my brother sadly passed away last year unexpectedly. And after he died, one of the things And I think we all find ways of coping. Now, I'm a very creative person, and I always have been putting down to my performance, um, My Guy magazine, shows, I don't know, whatever you want to put it down to. Um, Creativity has been something that has helped me through difficult times. So it's what I know. 
And so when my brother died unexpectedly, this is something I wanted to do. I thought, oh, probably the right time. So in my hours of grief, I yeah. sat for hours and hours and hours and I had my magazine published. So wow. this was published on the 1st of December. We're doing um, quarterly um, um, publications. They are online, but what we want to do is get advertisers in and sponsors in because obviously this is a, an important uh, movement for lots of businesses to align with because it shows what kind of business you are to uh, align with these societal issues. Um, so we can get some hard copies out there as well um, and distributed around. So it's the charity and the magazine are the two things I can talk about and there's <laughs> lots of other things coming in. Um, yeah. But uh, that, that, they're my, my big focus really for the next sort of six months. Fantastic. And you have been helping to educate organisations as well. Is that right? Did I remember that? Correctly? Yes. So, um, yeah. so yeah. So one of the things that I think is really important is that because uh, I, I had a petition in Parliament to yes. for them to fund mm -hmm. survivors of child sex abuse in the workplace, and I recognise, you know, when I was in my nineteenth twenties, um, one of the things I've learned through my years of advocacy and and, and therapy is our brains develop in the late teens, early twenties. So traumas will start to resurface around this time. Um, mm -hmm. And that's kind of like when you should be flourishing in the workplace as a young 20-year-old. For me, um, I think even though Danker UK, they do great stuff. They did great stuff. It just wasn't for me. But also that's when all my resurfacing mm -hmm. issues came. Insecurities and delayed onset of PTSD. And I didn't know how to cope with it. Um, because you don't really want to talk about it as a 20-year-old that you've got difficulties. And so and so you you don't say anything mm. and you suppress this. Now, if there were signposting around the office to say, look, you don't need to tell us if you've been sexually abused as a child, but if you are, we support you. These are numbers you can speak mm. to uh, and, and just be more supportive of these conversations because... And there's a hell of a lot of people out there who've been abused as children. Um, a lot of them might go to their grave with it. And we don't want that. We want to release, help people release so they can flourish, so that they can live, so they can actively engage in their life without that feeling of feeling like I did, like I was this fraud mm -hmm. in my world. So, so I've been connecting with businesses, trying to get them to address this in their workforce by doing some safeguarding, um, giving them some products that can say that they have taken on board the conversations, that they do support it, and then these are the numbers and information that they can um, share to their workforce without anyone having to say, I'm a survivor of yeah. child sex abuse. So wow. it's about re recognition, and it, and it's hard. I mean, it's it's a conversation that people don't really want to have. You know, when, when a case comes up, like, any case like you talk about Sarah Everard or you know baby P mm. um everyone's all over it the media's all over it the conversations are everywhere social media news everywhere you go and everyone's like yeah we're going to change we're going to do this we're going to do that and and then it's active 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 and then it starts slowing down yeah it's the next new items coming you know the war started yeah. or something else and then and it's not that they get forgotten, they just don't get that focus. And when you take that focus away, mm. it really dampens down the, the flames on it for everybody else. So you, may, you might have 200 people working on projects to help those. And then, you know, when you've got the world with you, you've got millions of people with you. And then those millions of people now going onto the war, you've still got the 200 people here desperately trying to be heard and they can't because now they're focusing on the war or there being be something else in the Royal family or, you know, mm -hmm. Harry's just put out another book. And so, mm -hmm. you know, people get these, this core two, three, 400, you know, thousands of people who are desperately trying to fight against the millions who are, Mm. on the media side um, of the news items it's it's hard and so you know I keep going and encourage people to keep going because you will be heard by somebody um, even if it's not the millions over here you will be heard by someone in your network and that's the most important thing to never forget your network and your community because they are the ones that will help you 
get messages out so maybe one day you do become one of the big news items and that's that's a really important message I think for all of us where can people find you EJ how, how, uh, how can w they just um find me on the web www.emmajanetaylor.com you'll find everything you need to know on there all my uh, links to all my social media um I'm on everything so whatever you do <laughs> omnipresent um, yeah yeah you it, whatever your whatever your social media fancy is then just contact me and uh i'll be there to to support help signpost in any way i, I can and, I, and if you want to join my campaigns and my advocacies and ambassadorships for my my charities i'd love to hear from you because the more people involved obviously the better the conversations gets. fantastic thank you ej thanks tony Thank you for listening to this episode of the University Challenge. Now, did you know that we have got a playlist? Yes, we've got anthems where everyone who's been a guest on University Challenge put forward a song that they think epitomizes their attitude to life. So head to the YouTube channel, which is at University Challenge, and check out the playlist there. You can also find more on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Simply put in University Challenge. And if it doesn't come up, I need to work on my SEO. Thank you.